This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Claggett, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett of Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you this evening? I'm doing awesome. I'm super excited about this show. Man, I am too. This is a really, really special event that we have going on here, Nicole, because Transitions Life Care is uh, celebrating a major milestone. It sure is, the 40th anniversary, and I was just a wee baron (laughs) when when the organization was founded, so super excited to have our two amazing guests here today. We have the co-founder of Transitions Life Care, formerly known as Hospice of Wake County, Dr. Billy Dunlop, and we also have the current CEO of Transitions Life Care, who's also been there a very, very long time, John Toma. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Nicole. So I would just love to, you know, tell the tale of Transitions Life Care uh, to the listeners because, you know, a lot of people in this community have had some impact from this organization through loved ones that uh, have since passed. And, you know, uh, this all started really with an idea of creating hospice in our community. So talk to us a little bit about how Transitions Life Care was founded, Dr. Dunlap, and, and really kind of how you took it from there to where it is today. Well, if I go into too much detail, just stop me. But in um, May of 1978, there was a meeting out in the Research Triangle Park to discuss forming a hospice in this area. And so I attended the meeting, and at the time I was practicing a lot of um, oncology and had a number of patients that I lost every year, I'm sorry, every week, and I saw there was a great need in the community for uh, better end-of-life care. And so from that first meeting, Two other nurses and I decided to form a triangle to form a hospice here in Wake County instead of starting in um, Chapel Hill where Triangle Hospice was first formed. So, and this was really, uh, Dr. Dunlap, when hospice was truly in its infancy in this country, correct? Absolutely. Uh, There were only uh, four in the state. We were the fifth hospice in the state of North Carolina. Uh, but there were very few across the country. The movement had just started in um, Europe about uh, the mid-60s. So we were really on the cutting edge. So what really attracted you to that type of work? Well, I could just see in my own practice that uh, there were a lot of unmet needs and that better end-of-life care could be given. And when hospice was founded this hospice and really hospices across the world there was really no payment structure for that correct i mean this was truly a volunteer effort that's absolutely true um in the early 80s uh, congress began to investigate hospice care and finally permanently um, began to reimburse for hospice care in about 1986 or 87 we went seven years in our program without being reimbursed for our care. 
you know, going along a similar track with Transitions Guiding Lights with no funder, funding sources, I know that you had to be quite creative with how do you keep the lights on and pay the bills and, 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 and maintain supplies for the patients. Talk to us a little bit about some of the creativity you had to utilize to keep the organization running. Well, we had to depend on uh, fundraisers and grants and memorial gifts, during, especially during that seven-year period. <laughs> In fact, at least a dozen times I've been at this station promoting <coughs> our biggest fundraiser in the 80s, which was Oktoberfest. I bet a lot of listeners remember that. Well, we were all <laughs> very fortunate to have the support of WPTF, especially Maury O'Dell, who many people will probably remember. So fundraising events, literally selling sausages to keep the doors open. We sold thousands and thousands (laughs) of knockwurst and bratwurst for 20 years or 17 years at Cameron Village and uh, three years at North Hills Mall. And we really, we would have had a hard time getting by without Oktoberfest. One year it raised 20% of our annual budget. So you have a very funny story about one year with the Oktoberfest that I think people would really get a kick out of when the inspectors were coming around and talking about providing that food out to the the citizens of our area. Well, you have to be talking about our first year when we knew nothing Nothing. about it. We we thought we were just going to be selling beer uh, with Cameron Village to support the Oktoberfest, but we found out that we could serve... uh, food, German food. And so we thought we had everything set up in a little kiosk to um, to serve our German food, but the health department had to come by and and inspect us the day before. Uh Uh-oh. And they said, well, you have no way of permitting your employees to um, wash their hands. So if you don't have some set up for that, we're not going to be able to let you do this tomorrow. So anyway, I set up a cooler with with water in it and connected it to a Foley catheter <laughs> that fed by gravity into Tupperware, and uh, we put Clorox in the water, and so we could wash our hands. And they came by the next day and sort of rolled their eyes and said, okay, we'll let you buy this year, but next year you're going to have to do a little better. That's awesome. You know what? Ignorance is bliss sometimes, isn't it? (laughs) That's great. So talk to us a little more. So, you know, you obviously had some very early, very beginning small roots. Um, How long did it take for really the fire to be lit in this community and for folks to really grab on and want to embrace the the idea and philosophy of hospice care? Well, it was really a a slow process. We only served 12 patients our first year. And... um, Word of mouth was really the way that we uh, promoted ourselves in the community. Um, so even the physicians didn't know what hospice was. I spoke to a group of oncologists in 1979, and it was really the first time many of them had heard about it. And they said, well, it sounds like a good idea, but that was about <laughs> the only favorable comment I could get out of doctors in 1979. So we had to educate the whole community. And we still have some of those challenges today. There's always, there's all these myths about, you know, hospice care and what it is and what it isn't. So it seems like, you know, with this line of care, um, folks still need some education today. That's true. 
So talk to us a little bit more about, um, you know, how was that care actually provided in its infancy and kind of how has it transitioned, no pun intended, to where we are today? Has the philosophy changed at all? Has, you know, kind of, how do people receive care then compared to now? Well, basically the care hasn't changed. The same philosophy is present now that was present in 1979. Um, it's just with reimbursement by uh, Medicare uh, and by third parties like Blue Cross Blue Shield, we can give much better care. Um, when we began to accept Medicare reimbursements, and we actually debated for six months on our board because we were so used to giving free care, we just... You felt wrong to take money, didn't it? it? That's a <laughs> yes. good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. But in the next four years, our budget um, increased. It, it quadrupled over mm -hmm. four years after that. So we were just able to do much more with uh, reimbursement. That is the voice of Dr. Billy Dunlap. He is a co-founder of Transitions Life Care, which is founded as Hospice of Wake County. We've also got the CEO of Transitions Life Care here in the studio. That is John Toma. We will hear more from both of them right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, two special guests here in the studio. We've got the co-founder of Transitions Life Care, that is Dr. Billy Dunlap. We also have the CEO of Transitions Life Care, John Toma. And Nicole, we heard some uh, some very interesting stories about the uh, the founding of Transitions Life Care. Of course, founded as Hospice of Wake County, and uh, a lot of our uh, legacy WPTF listeners will remember Oktoberfest, and as uh, Dr. Dunlap mentioned, uh, Maury O'Dell's involvement with that. So I'm sure that uh, brought a smile to a lot of listeners' faces. I bet I'm sure it did. So you know, Transitions Life Care has had in its growth a lot of homes. It's been in a lot of different spaces and. So talk to us a little bit about the evolution of the growth of the organization. Dr. Dunlap, I think you started in the Kathleen Townsend's living room. Well, we were truly uh, without any funds to operate with. And so uh, Kathleen Townsend, who was one of the two nurses I mentioned earlier that co-founded the program, uh, became our first executive director um, 20 hours a week for $5 an hour. She worked much more than that, but we had no office space, so we used her living room initially for a good while, and then uh, Grace Lutheran Church uh, allowed us to uh, use some of their space, and numerous other churches over the years have supported us uh, tremendously. Uh, Rex Hospital let us use some of their space for a few years for um, for our office, so we've just had wonderful support from uh, the community, um, and not only from organizations, but from um, people. Uh, this is such a generous community, and we've had so many um, people to um, 
to join us in supporting this program. So I know that probably one of the biggest uh, monumental moments of the organization's history has been the establishment of the campus of which it now sits. Talk to us a little bit about that, John. Yes, well, uh, we had uh, been uh, dreaming for many, many years, going back to uh, the beginnings of the organization. Uh, Dr. Dunlap has shared the story with me that they had started a fund uh, to be able to somehow, someday, uh, purchase some land and facility to have a hospice care facility for Wake County. Uh, with the uh, lack of reimbursement, uh, that fund actually had to go toward operations. But it always had been a dream of the organization uh, and the board of directors and staff and volunteers to have a hospice facility for the residents of Wake County. So we actually began uh, planning that in 2002 and had uh, several uh, stakeholder meetings uh, with staff and volunteers and also members of the community to find out uh, what did they envision, what did we envision for a hospice facility for Wake County. Number one, we wanted to have a care center uh, with private rooms with what's called hospice beds uh, available for patients who can no longer stay at home but don't want to be in the hospital or don't want to be in a nursing home to have a uh, comfortable home-like environment uh, from which to receive care when it's needed around the clock. We also wanted to have a community grief center, uh, a place where folks, anyone in the community can come who has experienced a loss of a loved one to, to find uh, support, to receive grief counseling, uh, to attend grief support groups, to uh, meet with other folks in the community who have experienced a similar loss and to find hope and healing at our grief center. We also very much value education. We talked about the need to educate physicians, educate the community about end-of-life care, so we wanted to have a place where people can come uh, and learn about hospice care and learn about palliative care. So we wanted to have uh, education and meeting space to be open to the community and welcome folks to our campus so that they can see who we are, uh, learn what we do, and uh, remove some of the sort of fears and misperceptions around hospice care. So we began planning uh, what it, the space would look like and developed a space plan, uh, developed a budget, and set out to uh, conduct a capital campaign uh, initially uh, to raise funds to build the hospice campus. And uh, Dr. Dunlap recalls that when we first uh, did a feasibility study to do a capital campaign back in 1995, uh, we worked with a wonderful consulting group, Capital Development, uh, who told us that we were not ready at that time to embark on a major mm -hmm. capital campaign. Uh, and we needed to uh, have more uh, staff support, and more community support, and more visibility in the community. So we worked in all those areas, and uh, finally in 2005, we were able to embark on a capital campaign, which originally, Dr. Dunlap, was $4 million. <laughs> then we increased the scope of the project and raised it to $8 million. Uh, we um, added a few more hospice beds to our plan, 
Uh, we were very fortunate um, at that time. There was a, uh, a small unit in Rex Hospital that had six hospice beds, and the CEO of Rex Hospital at the time uh, agreed it was a good idea to move their hospice beds into our new facility. So that increased the size of our uh, hospice facility again. So we increased the, uh, the campaign goal to $12 million. Wow. And then that made some people sweat. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dr. Dunlop's still sweating about that. <laughs> uh, and then we got this beautiful land from the state of North Carolina, uh, almost nine acres uh, on uh, NC State's Animal Research Farm on Trinity Road. So uh, we worked out where we are now surrounded by uh, goats and sheep, uh, and it's a beautiful pastoral setting uh, in the middle of Wake County. But that added some cost to the project to be able to develop that land. Sure. So we increased the goal to $15 million. <laughs> and uh, the Capital Campaign Committee, headed up by um, Dr. Dunlap and, and Smeed York, um, took that task on uh, and made it happen. And we were able to complete construction of the campus in 2009 and opened our administrative center, our grief center, our education center at the end of 2009, had a wonderful ground, uh, grand opening. And then the hospice care center, which is the William M. Dunlap Center for Caring, mm -hmm. we're very proud of that, uh, is uh, opened with uh, 24 private hospice rooms for patients and families. And that opened in uh, January 2010. Wow, that was a lot of work. <laughs> but definitely, as, as John and Dr. Dunlop said, you know, really the, com the community embraced this project. And, and, you know, while Transitions Life Care may sound like a very large organization, we don't want people to ever forget that it still relies very heavily on um, donor support and, and gifts from the community to keep all the good work that it does going. Because a lot of the work that you do provide is really at no charge to individuals in the community. That's correct. We do not uh, turn anyone away, uh, whether it's because of a lack of insurance or uh, with no insurance. Uh, we are here to serve everyone regardless of uh, insurance or ability to pay. And that's something that uh, we have uh, promised to the community since our inception and continue that today. And you know, I, the one thing that I'm particularly uh, moved by is that it really doesn't matter if, if somebody's, you know, receiving care in the hospice home or in the community, they could be the governor of our state all the way to potentially somebody who was homeless on the street and they received the literal same exact quality of care uh, with, because everybody deserves to pass on with dignity and respect. And I, I truly believe that Transitions Life Care really looks at people without that type of a lens. And I think that's, that's absolutely beautiful. It is a, an admirable commitment, and this is a fascinating discussion, and we're going to continue it right after this break. We've got the co-founder of Transitions Life Care here in the studio. That is Dr. Billy Dunlap. We also have the CEO of Transitions Life Care, John Toma, in here with us, and we've got more right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claygate from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. 
News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them online at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, two wonderful guests here in the studio, and those are the co-founder of Transitions Life Care. That's Dr. Billy Dunlap. We also have the CEO of Transitions Life Care, Dr. John Toma. And Nicole, I know we've got uh, uh, another half of the program here. To, it's John Toma. I, uh, did I promote you to doctor? You did. did. I give you uh, Thank you. But my gave, father's a doctor, so Dr. Toma resonates with me. <laughs> he, he made his daddy proud. <laughs> That's right. Well, maybe it was a bit of foreshadowing, John. I, I don't know. But I, I tend to promote people that I, I like. You know, you speak so well. You sound like a doctor. Maybe that's it. But, Nicole, we've got uh, plenty to get to here, so I don't want to take up any more time giving people false promotions. You know, and, and we were talking offline during the break about a very special moment uh, during that camp- campaign that I really think should be brought to light on air here today. And it's a story of a, of a donor who was a patient who wanted to make a gift to the organization. Well, the highlight of the first campaign, there were many high points, but uh, I had a patient uh, named Reed Toller, who'd been my patient for many years, played golf with him many times, uh, lived down the street from me about a um, quarter of a mile away, came into my office during the campaign and said, uh, after I finished checking his blood pressure, he'd like to talk to me about hospice. And I said, sure, that'll be great. So he said, well, I've already made a donation to your campaign, but I'd like to make another gift. I want something that my uh, grandchildren can remember me by 20 or 30 years down the road. And so I said, well, if you'd like to make a contribution of $25,000, we could uh, name a room in your honor, and uh, it would be there forever for your grandchildren to see. So he said, well, I want to give a million dollars. Oh, wow. Um, so I almost fell over. And <laughs> Did I, they check your blood pressure after that? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would have been scared to have my blood pressure checked. But all I could think was, well, that would be a very nice gift is all I could say. So three or four days later, I took him over to the campus. He'd never seen it before. Uh, it was early, a rainy Sunday morning. He had on uh, a overcoat in his pajama pants and we drove around the campus we didn't go in any of the buildings and I told him that we would name the campus in his honor so he was very happy with that we drove to his house went into his little uh, back office and he wrote out a check for a million dollars wow gave it to me and said now don't deposit this till Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Got to talk to my banker. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, congratulations on that gift. That's amazing. So I know that you know. Um, obviously, we keep saying Transitions Life Care, formerly Hospice of Wake County. There was um, some discussions for for quite some time about the scope of the organization changing a bit and expanding. And talk to us a little bit about how that name came, change came about and why it happened. Well, for years. We had been talking about uh, perhaps needing to change our name because we were doing more and uh, expanding our services, and um, I, I didn't like the idea. It had taken us so long to get the brand of Hospice of Wake County established. This, this was now about 2000, I would guess, mm-hmm. and uh, there'd been Hospice of North Carolina, there'd been Uh, Triangle Hospice, and people got us confused. But finally, we were firmly established, 
And here we were talking about a name change. So I was one of the four board members uh, after we discussed it for a number of, <coughs> number of years uh, to vote against it, but um, it happened. <laughs> this was about 2013. 2013, Dr. Dunlap, we voted as a board to uh, officially change the name uh, and then uh, implemented that change in 2014. And I had to explain it so many times to people. Why did you change the name? And some people were actually infuriated by the name change. They were so used to Hospice of Wake County. So finally, I boiled it down to 11 words. We do more than hospice. We serve more than Wake County. It is 11. I just counted. And so I'll let John go into a little more detail on that. Yes, I love that, the way you boiled it down, Dr. Dunlap, uh, because we, we did struggle with that as we were out explaining and promoting the new name. Uh, how can we uh, say it as concisely as possible? And you did a fantastic job. With that, I mean, uh, we are so uh, fortunate uh, and blessed uh, today uh, to be able to offer more services and to able to broaden our impact. And that's really what it's all about, uh, leading with the name change, but most importantly, uh, reaching people where they're at uh, and being able to help folks who are struggling with serious illness, struggling with terminal illness, and also who are dealing with the loss of a loved one. So today we are able to offer multiple services uh, and to match services with people's needs. Uh, and our, our goal is, is in our vision statement is to, to provide the, the right care at the right time. So that means that we can offer choices uh, to folks, to uh, patients and their families, uh, and to be able to uh, provide uh, a continuum of care uh, throughout their end-of-life care journey. So we, within Transitions Life Care, provide Transitions Palliative Care, that is supportive care for serious illness. We have Transitions Home Health, which is skilled nursing and therapies that can be provided in your home. We have, of course, Transitions Hospice Care, comprehensive care for the last six months of life. <coughs> And as we mentioned, we are very fortunate to offer a high level of hospice care uh, for folks who need the hospice inpatient facility. We also, and we, we probably should talk about this more, Nicole, in a, in a moment, have uh, Transitions Kids. And Transitions Kids provides pediatric hospice and palliative care in the Triangle. Through our wonderful partnership with Guiding Lights, we're able to offer caregiver education and support services through Transitions Guiding Lights. And we have Transitions Grief Care, the Center for Grief Counseling and Bereavement Support. They also host a kids camp annually. So, so with all those services, we're able to, as I mentioned, reach people where they're at based on what their needs are at the time and to provide that presence throughout their end-of-life care journey and provide comfort and healing uh, throughout various phases of their illness. 
So, John, there is, you know, Transitions Life Care is obviously beyond Wake County. Could you talk to us a little bit about the actual reach of the organization? Because I know this is a very large 50,000 watt station. Folks listening are probably wondering and falling in love with Transitions Life Care uh, while listening to the show. Wow, I want this for my loved one. Where do you go? Yes, we serve seven counties. And in addition to our campus on Trinity Road, we have uh, five regional offices. So we're able to serve all the counties in the Triangle, uh, and we have offices in Youngsville, and Angier, in Clayton, in uh, Durham, uh, and an additional office in Apex. Uh, so we're able to uh, provide care in the communities uh, where people live uh, or where they call home. Uh, we have uh, te- multiple teams that. Uh, go into individuals' homes throughout the entire seven-county area, and we are uh, embedded in those communities uh, to be able to provide high-quality hospice and palliative care. That is the CEO of Transitions Life Care, John Toma, not a doctor, despite my desire to <laughs> label him so. And we also have the co-founder of Transitions Life Care here with us, and that is Dr. Billy Dunlap. He is a certified doctor, folks, so not John. Not me, not Nicole, but Dr. Billy Dunlap. He is the doctor in the room. We've got more on the story of Transitions Life Care, celebrating their 40th anniversary right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-host, Nicole Claykitt, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, two very special guests here in the studio, the, co- the co-founder of Transitions Life Care, Dr. Billy Dunlap, as well as the CEO of Transitions Life Care, John Toma. They're here with us, and we've been telling the uh, the story of the founding of Transitions Life Care and the, uh, uh, I won't say transitions, but the evolution <laughs> of Transitions Life Care founded as Hospice of Wake County. So, Nicole, let's pick right back up. Yeah, so, you know, I, I do want to shed a little bit of light onto a very unique program that uh, Transitions Life Care uh, newly established, which is the Transitions Kids Program. Well... The first patient we served in 1979 was a four-year-old child. Um, Over the years, we have served a few children uh, until recently, uh, but we really were not qualified or trained to give pediatric care uh, to uh, the same extent we could give care to adults. Um, We did provide grief support but until our kids program was started uh, we were not really qualified to do that um, to give pediatric care so we started talking about that in around 2013 and grew uh, more and more interested in providing this service because we saw there was a definite need in the community so the board decided after much study to go ahead and start this program even though we had no uh, no way to to support it at the time but we just knew it had to be done so 
I don't know if you would like to take over at that point. Yes, uh, we are very fortunate to uh, have the support of some very generous uh, philanthropists in the community uh, who were able to uh, broaden our vision and broaden the scope of care that we can provide for children with serious illness and children with terminal illness. Uh, we started the program thinking that we may be able to serve a handful of kids in, in the last months of life uh, through our Transitions Hospice Care Program uh, for kids. And as we began to develop relationships with the children's hospitals, with uh, UNC Children's Hospital, Duke Children's, and Wake Med Children's Hospitals, uh, we saw a need to expand the services we can provide to be able to pro uh, provide more comprehensive care in the home for children and their families who were not ready for hospice care yet, but needed some quality palliative care hands-on care in their home to complement the care they, we were, they were receiving in the hospital. So with the uh, generous community support that continues today, we're able to provide pediatric palliative care as well as pediatric hospice care. Uh, included in that, of course, is the uh, grief counseling and support uh, and uh, specialized counseling for children of all ages, uh, teenagers, uh, including uh, uh, how to d cope with illness and utilizing the skills of our child life specialist. So I really think that, again, speaks to the fact uh, that this organization really looks at unmet needs in the community and really tries to fill a gap. And in some ways, getting back to the very beginning roots with the very first patient being served as a child. So I think that's that's just fabulous. And with having children of my own, you just you just never know when something might strike. And the idea that there is a, a place and in, in a group of people in the um, community that could help me and my family if I were in that situation is is very comforting, actually. So this program now is um, about three years old, and uh, we found that um, as far as inpatient care for children, uh, we've only had a few children in our inpatient facility uh, because children can be managed more easily at home mm -hmm. than adults can be uh, for many reasons. So this is providing such a uh, tremendous uh, amount of care in the community. I think we have about 60 children on our service right now, John, yes. is that correct? And um, we have found that the need is even greater than we thought it was going to be. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that was so traumatic to, to people in the community was the fact that they couldn't take their children home and let them be with their family around you know, all their favorite stuffed animals and their siblings for those last days So prior to this service being offered. So allowing families to have a more uh, natural experience, I think, is truly a blessing. Uh, the great desire of anyone at the end of life, almost 100%, is to be in their own home. But this desire for children and their families is even greater, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. So let's talk a little bit about one of the biggest issues that really faces um, 
people when they're contemplating end of life or they're looking at loved ones um, and wondering, you know, gee, is this the right time? A lot of times people feel like calling in hospice is giving up, is losing faith, stopping treatment is the wrong thing to do. Mom would always want to go, go, go. And then when people finally do go on hospice, usually much later than they could have, afterwards the families reflect and wish that they had done this sooner. Talk to us a little bit about when is the right time for families to really start to con- contemplate hospice care? Well, first, let me say that it is a myth uh, that we hear uh, periodically that uh, as soon as you get on hospice care, then you just go on downhill. But statistics show that patients who receive hospice care, uh, rather than just traditional end-of-life care, live longer uh, when they receive hospice care. So that's a myth. Uh-huh. Uh, there's no fine line as to when a patient should uh, have a hospice evaluation. I can almost say it can't be done too early because if the cons- consultation is done and the patient is not yet appropriate, then they will be told this and will be sort of put on a waiting list for when the time is more appropriate. So it can't be done too early. It can be done too late. Well, and, and, and the other piece of it is I often say to families, if the question is your mo- in your mind is when is the right time, probably that's the right time. I think that's a reasonable thing to say. Uh, if a person with a serious, serious illness is beginning to uh, go downhill, uh, then that question should come up, and they could mention it to their physician and even make their own referral if, for instance, they didn't have a physician by calling the hospice office. And honestly, I've had numerous occasions where the hospice team has politely said, you're not quite ready for hospice care. And frankly, you can graduate off. There's no no question about that. I always tell people with one phone call, if you're not pleased with it, we can stop it. Or you just may not, you know, you might be on it for a few months and start to get better and not be appropriate anymore. It is very difficult to tell exactly when is the right time. I remember in the early 80s, I referred a patient to hospice who I thought had six months to live, Mm -hmm. and she lived eight years. (laughs) Well, good for her. (laughs) Nicole, one of the benefits of, of having the palliative care program option is that if folks are not sure if they qualify, they can request, and they're not comfortable uh, requesting a hospice referral, uh, they can request a palliative care consultation. And if uh, the uh, team uh, and physician determine that the individual's not uh, ready for hospice or eligible for hospice at that time, uh, then we can enroll them in our palliative care program and continue to provide uh, medical care Uh, supportive services in the home under our palliative care program. So in the next couple of minutes that we have left here, John, talk to us a little bit about where you see the future for Transitions Life Care. Well, we are definitely preparing for continued growth in all of our services. We see the demand and the need for services to to, uh, grow dramatically in the triangle. Uh, The population is growing Uh, The aging population within that is is the fastest growing segment. So we're definitely uh, investing in growth. So that means investing uh, in our uh, teams, in our 
professional staff and our volunteers and our workforce, uh, making sure that we continue to be trained and equipped to meet the complex needs of individuals and their families. Uh, so a lot of investment in education. Also investing now in technology. Uh, we are, um, through the uh, generous grant from the Duke Endowment, we are now using telehealth uh, in our kids program and in our adult palliative care program, and we'll be expanding telehealth throughout all of our hospice programs as well. So if folks want more information about how to get a hold of Transitions Life Care, how would they go about doing that? Please give us a call at our main number at 919-828-0890, or you can uh, contact us through our website at transitionslifecare.org. That's transitionslifecare.org. CEO of Transitions Life Care, John Toma, and co-founder of Transitions Life Care, Dr. Billy Dunlap. Thank you both so much for coming in this evening and as well for being just two instrumental parts on a truly invaluable resource here in the Triangle. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Absolutely. We appreciate it. If you missed any part of this program or if you want to share it with someone, you can go online to WPTF.com. Head over to the Aging Matters section and you can find this episode along with every other episode that we've done of Aging Matters. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I am Jason Kong. Thanking you so much for joining us. We do this every Saturday evening at 7. It's Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.